Hello, and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to take a short, brief break from our look at the Law of Moses in Exodus. Yesterday we um, got up to Exodus 32, and um, there were some interesting things that happened there. Um, basically, it, again, just goes over and the account of when the uh, gold calf was made um, by Aaron for the Israelites because frankly essentially they kind of lost faith that Moses was going to come back and um, you know that he was gonna bring word of what was going on up on Mount Sinai so their impatience produced um, basically idolatry and they wanted something to um, touch, feel and uh, worship essentially for the flesh you know for our fleshly desires you know our five senses if you will always looking to be appeased so they chose to ask Aaron to make them uh, a gold calf because again that was what they were um that's what they observed essentially in Egypt was worship of bulls and calves and things of that nature. So they um, kind of human see human dude there, if you will. And um, yeah, they basically um, got an idol and then ended up suffering some severe consequences for that as we saw yesterday. But today what I wanted to do was I'm going to take a few, day, uh, few days off after recording this because I have a little vacation time and you know I always talk about rest and the Sabbath and um, I believe it's a very wise thing to take a break and just spend some time with your loved ones when you can and um, just get away from everything you know always you know of course you know remembering that we are Christians and that we do things that are um, Christ-like and always keep God at the center of everything but um, I heard a really uh, incredible teaching today, sermon, piece of a sermon by one of my favorite modern day preachers and teachers, Dr. Uh, Dr. Stanley and um, Charles Stanley. And he really, um, you know, he, he really, uh, that guy has incredible insight and an incredible gift for sharing the word of God. And um Today, what I want to look at actually is Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. Um, This is going to borrow heavily from what I heard this morning. So I'm giving Dr. Charles Stanley a lot of credit for what you're about to hear. But I felt that it was important to kind of go over it. Um, It's going to be a pretty brief episode, but there's some real... um, just understanding that can be very transformational in how we understand what the purpose of the law was and then also how it either applies or no longer applies in a certain regard to our Christian walk which of course we all know as Christians under the new covenant we are not obligated nor are we called to um, to have any uh, part in trying to be observed the law because that was again the law was a basically God's way of showing 
the the his people, the Israelites, what sin was. It was never intended to save the Jews, you because you could never live perfectly under the law because God's expectations and God's perfection are the highest of highs, and um, you know. We, again, the whole purpose of the law was to show us basically our shortcomings and our needing of a savior. Then when Jesus came here, he did live. He was the only one who lived the perfect life, fulfilled every end of the law, everything in the law. And um, again, I feel like it's just important I want to take some periodic breaks, like I've already said a couple of times, in while we go through the law itself and the first, um, basically three and a half books of the Torah from about the middle of Exodus all the way up through Deuteronomy. Um, but um, again, today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25, where again, Paul, I'm going through Galatians. I, you know, it, it's funny how the Holy Spirit works, you know, <laughs> like the fact that we have Charles Stanley here talking about the law. God's really put this on my heart to really understand the fact that we are, again, I had my struggles with legalism for many years because of my early exposure to it as a Christian. So it's almost like I feel God is just saying, you're free, you're free in me. And although I know this and I live this now, it's just incredible how when we have, like I said in the last episode, when you have biblical truth and understanding and a solid foundation to stand on when it comes to who you are in Christ, essentially, it really enables us to fulfill our purposes that God put us here for. And um, I feel like I'm in that process right now. I am humbly and gratefully happy to be in the middle of that process because you know, how amazing is it that God takes time to really address everything? And look, these are things that I feel like I'm not the only one that has to learn. That's another reason why I feel like God put it on my heart. This is something that I feel like a lot of people struggle with is understanding exactly who they are in Christ. You know, when we get saved, that's really just the beginning of our walk with the Lord. I mean, that's an incredible miraculous process in itself and that entire moment was brought to us by God himself it's after we become saved that we still want to be religious we still want to hold on to old things we still have the flesh the sinful flesh to live in but um you know again it's incredible when you really dig into God's word how you see truth how you see reality and how you see just again who exactly we are in Christ it's very important to have that knowledge and that understanding because that's the only way we can truly live in the liberty and freedom that Christ bought for us on the cross that comes along with salvation through Jesus Christ we are not called to try to be religious We are not called to have anything attached to the gospel other than the pure and beautiful gospel of peace, joy, hope that is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So 
Without any further ado, let's take a look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. Okay, and like I said, we are going to take a look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 25. Um, My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible subtitles this section, Purpose of the Law. And what we're going to do is read through it a couple of times, probably, and we are going to look at the notes because there's some really good um, just points that are made by Paul and then by some of the commentators here. So I really want to go through these sections and then we may end actually with a couple thoughts I had while I was listening to again, the message by Dr. Charles Stanley, that a lot of this, again, is heavily influenced by, I'll say, and I'd highly encourage you to download the In Touch Ministries app, and you can listen to his sermons, his daily devotionals, his daily messages. Um, He has video content on there. He has all kinds of great stuff, great resource to really just develop a true understanding of who God is and who we are called to be and exactly who Jesus Christ is. You know, it's God is just amazing. Um, Just very humble and blessed to be part of his family. And I just, uh, you know, I'm very grateful and thankful. So, all right, starting again, Galatians chapter three, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So that was, again, Galatians three nineteen to 25. Now let's take a look at the notes here for that section, and then we'll go from there. So, Paul explains the true purpose of the law in a fourfold assertion. First, the law was intended to reveal sin, not to secure righteousness. It was a temporary measure introduced to convince people of their need of justification and of their inability to save themselves, thus leading them to Christ. Second, The law is inferior to the promise, having come through angels and Moses. In contrast to the promise, 
which came direct from God to Abraham. Third, the law was not contrary to the promise. Rather, the two are complementary. The law demanded righteousness, but was powerless to provide it. Its function was to prepare for the gospel by making people conscious of their sin and their need of a savior. Fourth, the law directed us to Christ. It restricted us as a jailer and as a disciplinarian until faith in Christ brought us into the freedom of full-grown sons and daughters who have received their rightful heritage. Heritage, excuse me. So as we can see there with the notes, and as we can see in the passage here, the law, again, it was basically given to Moses, to the Israelites, to teach them and show them what sin was. But it was like a huge open-ended um, statement, if you will, by God, <laughs> because, you know, although it exposed what sin was, it provided no ability to overcome those very sins and to basically stop performing those behaviors in offense to the Lord. It was only in God's divine plan of sending Christ to fulfill the law by living out and living a perfect life according to his ways that we and then dying and resurrecting on the cross and then we through faith are able to enjoy that very inheritance that God was always pointing us to again starting with the Israelites and the Jews but then with Christ when he came he opened up his entire um, arms and his family, his family line, if you will, to us, the Gentiles. And that's why John three sixteen, one of the most famous verses ever says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Again, Jesus exposed the sins of the world as the law exposed the sins of the Jews initially. So that's why to us as Gentiles, as non-Jews, the law seems so foreign to us because frankly, we can't comprehend even trying to live our life that way. And for good reason, <laughs> because it's impossible and it's absolutely mind numbing and mind blowing to think that, you know, this is how people tried to live for hundreds and hundreds and of years, centuries, and millennia, essentially, until finally that miraculous time when Jesus Christ showed up on this earth and completely changed everything. But up until that time, again, we're looking at the, the, the very birth of the law with, with the Ten Commandments, with Moses on Mount Sinai, and we're looking at the fact that, yes, the law exposed sin, but it also gave um, the Israelites and the Jews instruction on how to 
atone for their sin, which was where the sacrifice comes in, the animal sacrifice, the offerings, if you will. And that's how for, again, centuries and millennia, people reconciled themselves to God before God. And um, basically um, repented of their sin by, again, bringing those offerings to the temple and then having the priests and high priests offer up the sacrifices for those people. Now, we all know the famous encounter when Jesus goes into the temple at a point with a whip and overturns the tables and is absolutely furious at what at what is occurring right there the reason why jesus was so upset at that time had nothing to do with um money per se it had nothing to do with physical acts the biggest offense that was going on there was the fact that the people operating the temple had turned it into a house of thievery. It turned it into basically a, um, a, a, a marketplace. And that was never the intention, as we can see with the construction of the tabernacle and the very early instruction given to Moses. This was a holy site, the holiest of holies where God himself dwelt in the holy of holies. And the fact that on in the outer courts, there were people, and here's, here's what was going on. Here's one thing that was going on in there that really just, just infuriated Christ when he was here physically as a man. And as, you know, again, as that's, as those encounters um, are revealed in the gospels about what happened there. Um, so what would happen is people would bring their animals and for sacrifice to the temple and the people operating the temple would tell them, oh, well, you know what? Your animal, is, it's, not, it's not good enough for the offering. So here, we'll sell you this one. And they would make money, essentially, off of people just trying to atone for their sins. And of course, you know, as serious and as um, the, the law required, people wanted to make sure that their sins were atoned for. So... They were lying to the people, and th this is a very worldly thing, and this is exactly what goes on in the modern-day church with sections of the church, which is why God's going to spit some of these people out of his mouth eventually, because they were, again, imagine if you brought, you know, whatever, a couple goats and a lamb for your, for your offering. And being told, well, they're not worthy, essentially, of going into the temple to be offered. But here, you can give this much money and we'll make sure that you have a nice sacrifice before the Lord. Meanwhile, who knows what they were even doing, if they were even doing that at all. So if you can really put yourself in the shoes of Christ, you can understand why he was so furious. And that's one of the biggest offenses that were being committed by those running the temple at the time. Again, it had turned, got the house of Jesus's father had been turned into a den of thieves, into a place in which people were just ripping other people off, essentially, while these poor people were just trying to 
do fulfill the law and live righteously as righteously as they could under the law. And that's what infuriated God so much. So God being Christ in the flesh on this earth at the time. And I'll tell you what, the very, like I just mentioned, the very same things that are going on in portions of the church, be it health and wealth gospel, be it preaching and saying certain lifestyles are acceptable when they're complete abominations to God, um, preaching basically made up gospels and just barely even opening the word. These very same things are, look, you have no idea how infuriating that is to the Lord because he gave us all we need. He gave us thorough instruction throughout the word, both in Old Testament and New Testament. He gave us his God, the father gave Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus Christ came here and died on the cross so that we can be forgiven so that we can um, be set free of sin, all sexual immorality. We can be set free of all bondage. He, he did that for a purpose. And when people have the audacity to sit and claim Christianity and then try to preach or teach or share a false gospel such as X, Y, and Z are acceptable, even though there's clear evidence throughout the Bible that it is not acceptable to God. That is why someday those people are going to be rebuked by Jesus Christ himself at the, at a, at a time, be it at a judgment. I, I don't know when that happens, but it's going to happen. And Christ is very clear about that. In the beginning of revelation, Jesus addresses seven churches, which I believe there's a lot of different you know, um, expositories. There's a lot of different um, beliefs on exactly what those seven churches symbolize. But, um, you know, uh, essentially uh, what I can see, it seems like there's different either bodies, uh, parts of the body of Christ at the time, or it could be different phases of the church is another, uh, you know, idea that could, could be, you know, sort of um, what's being described there. But, you know, um, you know, speaking of legalism, I mean, you know, talk about absolute ignorance to, to the whole word of God. That legalistic church that I used to go to, uh, it was located right in Philadelphia. And the pastor actually said one time during a sermon, and I don't think he was joking, that, you know, Jesus addresses the Church of Philadelphia, which Philadelphia is over in Europe. It's over in, you know, um, a foreign land, if you will. All of American cities, every American borough, it's all comes from Europe, if you don't know that. Um, everything, every street name, you go to Europe, you go somewhere, you'll see the same things that were there for hundreds of years because... Europeans came over and started America. So they <laughs> were very unoriginal in the naming of their cities. Hello, New England, Philadelphia. Um, you know, we can go up and down all over America, all uh, across America and see the very same names are, first off, all the cities have almost the same names. You know, you always, you have a Market Street, a Chestnut Street, a Walnut Street. All of them are named by, um, by uh, street numbers. Um, a lot of that actually comes from Philadelphia, coincidentally, because 
Philadelphia was one of the first major cities to use the grid system. And that system proved to be pretty much the most logical and um, efficient way to construct a city. And that's why you see a lot of cities set up like Philadelphia for the most part. That makes sense anyway. But I digress. This guy actually had the uh, misunderstanding to say, um, you know, what if Jesus was talking to our church in that particular group of believers? Again, the legalism in this church was so sick that if you weren't in that specific fellowship, they believed that you were not a Christian. They believed that you bought into false gospels, which... Thankfully, thank God for my uncle who had the um, just the boldness to go down there and confront this guy one day and basically helped my cousin and I who were involved with it leave that church eventually. But I mean, that's my only point in saying that. And believe me, I pray for them every day. I feel horrible for the people. There's still people I know that are in that church and fellowship. But, you know, I feel I, I really... Um, just can't believe the ignorance to the word of God. But when you take on legalism, when you become legalistic and you add to the gospel, you open yourself up to different demonic influences and misunderstandings. And that's exactly what they live under. You know, we are commanded first for everything we do. It should be motivated by love for others. And I can tell you, when you're in legalism, it's all about works. It's all about, it not, it's not love-based. It's works-based. It's trying to earn something, which, again, thank God that we can't earn anything more than what Jesus has already given us. Again, his grace, salvation, his undeserved, unmerited, free gift. We just have to accept it. So... All right. Um, I'm going to share a few thoughts now from the message as I was listening to it this morning again from uh, a message from Dr. Charles Stanley. And then that covers pretty much Galatians 3, um, 19 through 25, what we're going to look at right now anyway. I might flip back to a quick truth and action section because there are a couple that are referenced or at least one that's referenced here. But before I do that, I want to again, um, let's read it again, and then I'm going to hit the truth and action section, then I'll share those thoughts, and then we're going to move on to a couple more. I think we are going to look at a couple more verses quickly, but, all right, and I might actually share my thoughts after we go through those other couple verses real fast, too, because they all kind of tie in and tie up everything kind of nicely, maybe to put a nice little bow on this episode. So, all right, again, looking at Galatians chapter three, verses 19 through 25. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, that is Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Quickly there, that word mediator is mesites, mesites. From Mesos, middle, and Emi, to go. Hence, a go-between, umpire, reconciler, arbitrator, intermediary. In this passage, the word refers to Moses' bringing the law to the people 
along with angelic assistance. In its other occurrences, Mesitesis speaks of Jesus' accomplishing salvation by his vicarious death and guaranteeing the terms of the new covenant. So picking up at verse 20 of Galatians 3, I just wanted to cover that word real fast because we always hear, you know, Jesus is God's our Jesus is our mediator between God and man. But, you know, that's what the actual word means. And it's pretty cool too that note there and that definition where it does say and very, um, you know, timely that Moses was um, basically the one who brought the law to the people and Jesus brought salvation to the world. So moving on, now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So quickly, when people preach a universal gospel, which is what a lot of liberal Christians or um, uh, I don't know what they would even call themselves, you know, um, to call yourself a Christian to preach anything other than Christ is an abomination, frankly. But, you know, when, when anybody tries to tell you that all roads lead to heaven, essentially, I always come back with the truth of, well, if all roads led to heaven, then what was the point of Jesus's death? It makes it void. It makes it pointless. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. That's through faith in him. And at that point, when you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you can become saved, you can become set free, you can become a child of God. There's no other way, absolutely none. God's not the author of confusion. He is. He knows how simple we are, you know, with all of our education, with all of our materialistic goods, with all the things we can accomplish in the world. People tend to get a very lofty ego about themselves and very, um, you know, they tend to overthink things and, um, you know, inflate themselves or with their pontifications. But God knows how simple we are. And God gave us a very simple way to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection on the cross of Calvary. That's the only way there is. It's the only way. It's that simple. So, all right, picking up at verse 22, speaking of that. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. That word tutor there, quickly, my Bible just gives a little explanation. In a household, the guardian responsible for the care and discipline of the children. So if you think about the law, it was responsible for the care, showed people, showed the Jews how to live by, you know, within these parameters, by, you know, a careful lifestyle, if you will. And it also taught how to discipline those who broke the law. So, but never did the law offer the ultimate salvation that that people and prophets had been waiting for, the Jews had been waiting for, for millennia, for centuries. And then Jesus came, and unfortunately, lots of them missed the very Messiah and Christ that they were looking for. Thank God for those 12 apostles. 
thank God for those 12 men, those 12 Jewish men who God gave ears to hear, eyes to see, and open hearts to see that the Messiah was there and that he was there to save. And um, the deep spiritual accomplishments that Christ made while he was here on earth and when he died and resurrected, that is that was the whole point of Christ's coming, was spiritual victory, spiritual um, righteousness over sin and conquering death. That's exactly what he did. And the only righteousness that we can find is in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone. So <laughs> I just have to really... I, I, that's a laughter of joy because when I really think about God and his goodness, I just, you know, what a amazing plan, but how simple it is at the same time. It, you know, we are called to be childlike for a reason. You know, when Jesus called the little children to him and said, you know, <laughs> that we must remain like these in a certain regard, it's because when you, when people get old, quote unquote, they start to lose their way. They, um, you know, again, people become overeducated and very unintelligent. It seems like, and especially these days, with the um, with the political uh, political stuff that goes on, and every issue is turned into a political issue, and you know, it it's all divisive. It's just satanic you know, um, influence at its worst, but greatest, if you will, at this time. I mean, if you look at the world, how sick it is, um, but how united it is in a lot of ideas, it's a pretty scary reality. But again, God is in control of all of this. And, you know, even though we may not like, uh, you know, our leadership, for example, we may agree with it. We may disagree with it. Nobody's ever happy 100% with any president, I mean, or any leader or any uh, prime minister or any um, cabinet member, you know, or any dictator. <laughs> but, um, you know, believe it or not, they're all placed there by God for a reason. And um, ultimately, the they're all pawns, if you will, in God's plan. And most of them don't even know that they're you know, fulfilling God's purposes one way or another for their lives and for this earth. And, um, you know, you don't have to be that, uh, that, um, perplexed when you see things going sideways in the world, because if you read revelation, things are going to get a lot worse before they can get better. And it's all written. It's all in the word, get into the word, get understanding, and you will, not be as confused as what you see around you. So finishing up here again, just looking at Galatians 13, we're going to finish up 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. That verse 25, it says so much, and is just such a perfect capstone to Paul's thoughts right there. Again, the book of Galatians was basically written because there were 
Jews that went to Galatia and basically told them what Paul's preaching is false. You need to follow the law along with, you know, believing in Christ to be a Christian is what they were saying. Again, teaching legalism, essentially. And even Peter fell into some of it, you know, if you look into the earlier chapters of Galatians. But Paul is just, you know, again, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, sharing exactly why and what the purpose of the law was. And again, that that last verse in chapter 325 of the, the last verse in this little sub subsection that my Bible breaks it down to, it's not the last verse in the chapter, but he, where he says, but after faith has come, faith in Jesus Christ, that is, we are no longer under a tutor or we are no longer under the law because when we have Christ and we have faith in him and he places the Holy Spirit in us, that Holy Spirit is what gives us the power to walk out and live how we are how the jews were originally commanded to live under the law you see the bigger picture of the law was essentially living a godly life and again it was impossible to do at the time because although the law exposed and explained how god commanded the jews and wanted them to live it was also useless when it came to empowering people to actually live that way and that's why again we had the sacrifices we had the offerings we had um all of the, the religious system that was set up in in the law essentially but again when faith through jesus christ came and christ fills us with his holy spirit again emphasizing that it would be better for Jesus to be in heaven now so that we can have the Holy Spirit in us. What an amazing reality that is when you really grasp hold of that truth of how God actually says it is better for me in physical form to be in heaven so I can send my spirit to live inside of you. It's it's absolutely he's absolutely amazing and that should um that should really settle your heart and settle any discontent when it comes to questioning exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and what its purpose was. Okay, so we're gonna look at a couple more verses real fast before I wrap this up. We're going to flip up. We're going to actually flip back to Romans. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 21 through 26. My Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible, subtitles this section, God's Righteousness Through Faith. Again, most of this entire episode is heavily influenced by a message I heard from Dr. Charles Stanley this morning. I highly encourage you to download the In Touch Ministries app full of great, amazing, godly wisdom, knowledge, resources. And um, I'm giving Dr. Stanley a lot of credit for this because I was listening to it this morning and just started writing and thinking. And, um, you know, the way the Holy Spirit moves on you to just he just, you know, speaks to us sometimes. And I just felt very compelled to. Um, you know, wrap up 
This is about halfway through season three, where this is episode 40 of season three. I typically go 100 episodes for each season. So I'm very happy that, uh, again, I'm going to take a little break in between um, from now for the next few days from recording. But um, I'll definitely be in the word, of course, daily and uh, eating my spiritual food every day, just like we all should be. Because again, we need our spiritual food daily, just like we need to eat physical food, not daily on the physical side, because you can survive days, sometimes weeks, people have survived months without food. You need water though. And I will say this living water, this word of God is something that if you don't consume frequently, you will die spiritually quickly. So and look, it's God's living word. This is Jesus. We can, this is, this is Jesus himself, the, the, the word of God. This is the sword of the spirit. This is the truth that enables us to not only stand firmly on the rock of, and our, of our salvation, but also that gives us our witness to who we are in Christ. And when people in the world, when this, when satanic people are trying to come against you and attack you and mock you, you know, they can do that all day. But when you throw some real spiritual truth at them, it can really shut them up quickly. And we don't want that. We don't want to be in, you know, contention with people per se. On the flip side, when you have spiritual truth to share with people, it really touches their soul. And God willing, if they have ears to ear. <laughs> not ears to ear, ears to hear and an open heart and eyes to see, they'll see that what you're speaking is truth. Again, how amazing is it? God equips us with everything we will ever need, including not only his gospel and his son, but the very truth that will he will use to bring people to him through us to fulfill his great commission. So... Let's look at Romans chapter 3 again, verses 21 through 26, subtitled, God's Righteousness Through Faith. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as appropriation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. That word redemption there, apolutrosis, apolutrosis means a release secured by the payment of a ransom, deliverance, setting free. The word in secular Greek described a conqueror releasing prisoners, a master ransoming a slave, and redemption from an alien yoke. In the New Testament, it designates deliverance through Christ 
from evil and the penalty of sin. The price paid to purchase that liberation was his shed blood. So, as we can see, look, it's very easy to see who's a Christian and who's not. If you live according to what is in the word, if you live a godly life according to what Christ and what this word of God says, then pretty good indicator that they're a Christian. But there's plenty of people walking around calling themselves Christians these days that fit in perfectly with the world. They live in sin openly. They embrace it. And then they're going to call themselves a Christian. Well, there's a long laundry list of things Paul goes through in Romans and throughout the New Testament that and Jesus himself opens up in, in the book of Revelation and says, although people can say it's empty words when it comes to those people, essentially, they can call themselves whatever they want. But just like in real life relationships, actions speak louder than your words. And it's, there's no, no truer relationship where that's real and true than in a relationship with God. You can say all you want all day long, but if you're not, if your life is not resembling that of a changed new creation, then you're a liar and you're a deceiver and you will be spit out by Jesus Christ himself one day because it's better for you to have never known Christ than to have known a form of godliness and then to have went on and lived your own way because that is called lukewarmness. God hates it and you will be rebuked by Jesus Christ himself one day in judgment. So let's look at the notes here for, again, Romans chapter 31. Or excuse me, <laughs> if there's a Romans chapter 31, that would be interesting. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through um, 26. So, but underscores the contrast between the revelation of God's wrath and the revealing of God's righteousness. The law and the prophets refers here to the whole Old Testament. Faith in Jesus Christ is a genuine reliance on Christ, a heartfelt trust in Him rather than in oneself for salvation. No one will ever reach God's standard of absolute moral perfection and be worthy of His glory on His own. Therefore, if there is to be any salvation, it must come in another way. Justified means to be declared righteous in God's sight. Propiation means the appeasement of divine wrath by a sacrificial offering. Some deny that the Bible contains this idea because they do not think a loving God would ever personally exercise wrath against his creatures. But the idea is clearly implied by the Greek word for propitiation and is the only saving solution to the fact of God's wrath against sin that Paul developed in chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 20 of Romans. At the heart of the gospel is the fact that if Christ did not bear the wrath of God that we deserved, then that wrath is still stored up for us. The idea of propitiation is also vividly described in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4, 5, 10, and 11. 
blood is a reference to Christ's death as a substitute sacrifice for us. Christ's blood poured out is clear evidence that his life was given for us. To demonstrate his righteousness, God had not punished all sins previously committed in the time of the Old Testament. Therefore, he appeared to be unjust, for sin had been committed, but no penalty had been paid. But when Christ died, he paid even for those previous sins that God had forgiven, thereby showing that God is truly just and that he never forgives any sin without full payment of the penalty for that sin. Sending Christ to die for our sins was God's amazing solution to the problem of how he could remain just, punish all sin, and still justify us, declare us perfectly righteous in his sight. So one theme that's kind of repeated there, and one thing that uh, Dr. Stanley mentioned in his sermon this morning, in the, the teaching, and something that is very prevalent in today's thinking of in the world generally is the idea that people think that by being quote unquote good people or being good enough that they will get to heaven without being saved through Jesus Christ, through the blood. As we can see here, that's a very false misconceiving idea. But that idea is basically the same thing as a modern day form of the Jews looking at the law as the only way that they could get to heaven and then rejecting Christ when he came with his gospel of basically saying the law is going to pass away. The law is not pass away. I shouldn't say that because that's that's incorrect. But the law is going to be fulfilled to a point of where you will not have to you will no longer have to live under the law, but you will live and be saved by faith and grace through Jesus Christ. Essentially saying that the, the works of the law were going to be um, fulfilled by the, by the death and perfect life of Jesus Christ. And then through faith in Christ, you will be saved and you will have um, eternal life. The Jews rejected that idea largely because, again, they could not grasp that anything other than the law, a.k.a. their good works, would get them into heaven. And that's why they rejected Christ. And today, the very same thing happens with the majority of the world, a majority of religions. They, A lot of people are deceived and believe that their quote-unquote good works or their actual lack of um, breaking the Ten Commandments, quote-unquote, which everyone breaks the Ten Commandments, everyone breaks the law. As it just said here, we're all guilty of it. We, there, there are none righteous, no, not one. I mean, God's word is very clear about that for a good reason. It's not to put us down or demean us. It's just to simply show us that we need Jesus Christ. He's our savior. And that's why God is so emphatic about these things and is so, um, you know, he, he needs to drive these points home because he wants us to understand that the only way to him is through his son, Jesus Christ. Your good works mean absolutely nothing to God. They, they don't mean any, they literally mean nothing. Picture it like this. 
you know, this is, this is just an example, but you know, when there's someone interested in another person and the other person has no interest in them whatsoever, that person can literally walk off a cliff to try to get that person's attention. And they just don't care because they have zero interest in them. That's how it is with God and us trying to earn our way into his good graces or work our way into his good graces. They are meaningless to him. They are, he does not see it. He does not acknowledge it because none are righteous, no, not one. And if we were saved by works, then it would all be pointless. Then the, the, the faith we are required to have in Jesus Christ, that would be completely void because we would be justified by works and not faith. And that's exact opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God commands us to believe, to have access to him, which is the fact that we are not justified by our works, but we are only justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the true gospel. And that's where the world misses the entire point to this very day. Just as the Jews rejected Christ when he was here on earth, the world rejects Christ now because they don't want to yield. They don't want to accept the fact that he has already accomplished far more than they can ever accomplish on their own. He has accomplished more. He accomplished more in 33 years than I could ever accomplish trying to work my way into God's favor for all of eternity. That is the power of what Jesus Christ was here and what he did. Uh, it's He's amazing. He's mind-blowing and God's plan. And the more I understand it, the more I grasp it, the greater my faith grows in him and it, the more I just am blown away. Absolutely, my mind is numb <laughs> at, at the very reality of just the simplicity of the gospel, yet the power and effectiveness of the gospel to change our lives and absolutely turn us into, take us from our old ways, our old sins, our old works, our old horrible things we did and converts us into Christ-like people. How amazing is that? It's a... We have a great, good God. He doesn't want you out there trying to do it on your own. You'll never do it on your own. Stop trying. Your good works. <laughs> it, it, and there's so many examples and so many funny movies I can think of, of, of that type of example where a guy, basically when a guy, all right, I'll just say when a guy's trying to get a girl's attention and she has no interest in it whatsoever. I mean, that dude could literally set himself on fire and run around in circles around her. And if she has no interest, she just has no interest. And that's the same way God sees our good works. It, it's just meaningless to him. He, he couldn't care less, frankly, because he already accomplished everything in his divine plan. It's up to us to fit our lives into God, not to try to fit God into our lives. All right. So we're going to finish up in Ephesians, actually. We're going to flip forward. We're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to look at three verses, verses 11 through 13. 
where it says, this is my spirit-filled life, New King James Version Bible, subtitles this section, brought near by his blood. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time, excuse me, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. So looking at the notes for that section, it says in my spirit filled up New King James Version Bible for Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Uncircumcision is the most direct term to describe the fact that Gentiles were outside any covenant relationship with God. Without Christ is the first of five phrases in this verse describing the estrangement of Gentiles before Christ came. Being without a Messiah is the fountainhead of futility and hopelessness, but now joins with but God as gloriously pivotal words upon which everything in life turns from death to life, sin to salvation, and hopelessness to eternal joy. Amen. So we're going to finish up our look in the Word right there in Ephesians. And that's pretty much part of what I heard this morning along with just some more, you know, um, I guess uh, the little things I threw in here and there along with Romans and Ephesians. Um, they were just some cross-references, frankly, that my Bible had when I started in Galatians, and I just felt like they were pretty pertinent to the topic. So, um, yeah, that's going to conclude this episode for the most part. But before we finish up, I did want to just share again just a couple of thoughts I wrote down while um, while I was listening to that sermon by Charles Stanley this morning. And I mean, I've covered most of them, but I just feel like I just want to finish off with, again, just a few thoughts here. Okay. And like I said, this last little section here is just going to be basically just some thoughts I'm just going to read out um, of, again, just some things I noted while I was listening to that great sermon by, again, Dr. Charles Stanley on the In Touch Ministries app this morning. So, um, the reason the Jews hated the gospel of Christ taught by Jesus and the apostles is because they came up in the Jewish religion and rejected salvation through faith not religious works in Jesus Christ. They couldn't comprehend that God would extend grace through faith, not works. They completely missed what the prophecies about Jesus foretold throughout the Old Testament, even though Jesus fulfilled all. And that really blows my mind when I think about it because, you know, the Jews study the Old Testament very um, 
diligently and the scribes and the Pharisees um, were experts on the Old Testament and especially the law and they were looking they were taught to look out for the Messiah for the Savior for the Christ and when he didn't come the way they wanted him to come, which was as a military leader to overthrow Rome and set them free on this physical earth, they completely rejected him. Even as he fulfilled all the prophecies, performed the many, many, many miracles that he did while during his short ministry, again, John himself concludes at the end of his gospel and says, if all of the miracles Jesus did were performed, or excuse me, were recorded and written in books, then the earth itself could not contain those books. Now, that's, that's, it could just be an analogy, or it could be a physical reality. But either way, the point is that Jesus did so many miracles that there was frankly no question that he was the Messiah to those that had ears to hear and eyes to see. And again, I believe the scribes and the Pharisees rejected Christ because they were scared to lose their power. They were scared to lose their positions. They did not want to yield to the will of God. They were full of pride, ego, and dead religious works. That doesn't sound too familiar now, does it? <laughs> That's the exact way of the world. That's why to this day, so many people reject Jesus Christ. They'd rather have their dead ways. They'd rather have their dead religions. They'd rather have their... Um... <laughs> the funny part is this, you know, no matter what level you reach in life, what you think is success in this world, there's always going to be somebody out there with more. There's always going to be somebody bigger if you go to a gym. There's always going to be somebody better if you're a criminal. There's always going to be a, somebody who is, um, you know, uh, more successful in whatever field you're in. Point being, you're never going to reach that apex or pinnacle because there's always someone out there in the world who's going to who's going to one-up you, if you will. So the very deception that people live under of some sort of success in the world is just, it's really sad because I remember those days when I used to think that way, when you used, when I used to want to, you know, not that I don't want to be successful, which there's nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, it's what's in your heart. Where is your... Where do you, where do you pray, place your treasure? You know, do you place your heart and, and the treasure in the things of this world? Or do you place your heart and treasure in spiritual things that will last eternity? That's a big thing to really grasp and, and understand and live out. Because if you, you know, the world, when you put your heart and your treasure into the world, that's why you're left empty all the time. And that's why so many people turn to so, turn to sin to try to fill, fulfill the lust of the flesh, 
or the um, lust of the eyes. You know, they the people want pe- people will do anything to appease the flesh and keep trying to satisfy. Frankly, sadly, what only what only God can really fill. We have a Jesus-sized hole in every one of our souls that only He can fill. It's really that true and simple. So, moving on, let's look at the notes that I took this morning. And again, they're pretty pertinent to what we're what I'm discussing now. To this day, people would rather rely on their good works for salvation instead of through faith in Jesus Christ. The law of Moses was never God's plan for salvation. It was God's way of showing man that we are absolutely helpless in saving ourselves and in need of a savior. It is only with God's indwelling Holy Spirit that we are equipped to live a life that keeps the law of God. Again, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, his right that is when we are we become God's handiwork and we become God's we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that's when God transforms us and molds us into an image of his son which is absolutely mind-blowing and incredible again Jesus being the fulfillment of the law the one who kept every law of God and every commandment he that is where we the holy spirit equips us to live out everything god commanded us to do and and it's really broken down into two simple simple commandments love the lord your god with all of your heart mind and soul and love your neighbor and treat your neighbor as you love and treat yourself those two commandments summarize every bit of the law everything and if we just lived that way imagine the changed people we would be and the changed world we would live in so you know again god keeps it simple for a reason we're not as intelligent as smart as we think we are you know <laughs> You can keep your theoretical physics, you can keep your theory of evolution, keep your theory of the big bang. You want to buy that garbage which is completely un- it's it's based in theory alone. There's no scientific evidence for any of it. Then sadly, you know, have at it. And then finally, we can only experience freedom and liberty in Christ when God declares us justified. that is forgiven of all sin like a prisoner walking out of prison that is the picture that we have when we get saved you know somebody who's been in prison for years and just walks out of that prison completely free justified their debt has been paid to society and Jesus Christ paid our sin debt to God so that we can be set free from the prison of sin from the prison of the flesh from the prison of death itself so that's going to conclude our look at again we started in galatians moved into romans and finished up in ephesians and then just finished up with a few thoughts from um 
well, that I jotted down basically very hurriedly while I was, um, you know, listening to that sermon this morning. So again, Dr. Charles Stanley, In Touch Ministries, um, grab the app and just fill yourself with good teaching. So I will talk to you soon. For now, I'm going to take a nice little break, have a nice vacation with the children God bless me with, and just enjoy some time off. So God bless and have a great day.